Thank you, music team. Thank you, Jim. Please take your Bible and go to Colossians chapter 1 with me. Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> if you're a guest today, welcome. I'm glad you're here. My name is Pastor Jacob. I would love to get a chance to meet you after service today. Church family, thank you so much for letting me be your pastor. I'm so honored to serve you. I hope um, I'll serve the Lord faithfully. And thank you for filling out the spiritual practices survey that I talked about last week and maybe the week before that. We're completed with that survey, and you can find the results of that on my blog, jacobsblog.com. Yes, people still do write blogs, evidently. Um, you can find the results of that there. We'll also be sending a link out of those results this coming Wednesday if you get our normal emails. If you don't get our normal emails, then contact the office and sign up so you can get that. If you'd like a printed copy of that, you just also let the office know, and we will kill a tree for you. Today, <clears throat> we already have the paper all as well. Today we continue in our series called Endless Prayer, which focuses on verses 3 through 14 of Colossians 1. And the title of today's sermon is What Pleasing the Lord Looks Like, Part 1. What Pleasing the Lord Looks Like, Part 1. Will you stand with me now in reverence for God's Word as we hear God's Word read today? Although the sermon is from verse 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, Father, we praise your holy name because you are good and do good. You, you give strength to the weary and you increase the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. And so, Lord, we wait on you today asking you to renew our strength some of us in this building have had long, hard weeks. We think of those who are sick and hurting. We think of Cindy Michelson and Kevin Peterson and Ken Eakins and others, Lord, who have had surgeries or experienced setbacks in their health. We think of Melinda Carr today, who's coming close to seeing you face to face. Father, renew their strength. Help them to take up the shield of faith so that they might extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and help them to put on the helmet of salvation and to take hold the sword of the Spirit to fight back the attacks of the devil. Lord, help them to finish. Help Melinda especially to finish well. Comfort her family. Help them to fix their eyes on you, Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. 
God, we thank you for those children who went to camp this past week. We ask, Lord, that your word that they heard would land in good soil of their hearts and grow up and bring up abundant fruit for you. We pray for those students going to camp today. I ask, Lord, for whoever is preaching at the camp that you would fill him with your spirit and give him clarity. Help this week of camp not just to be another week, but I pray, Lord, that you would ignite something in the hearts of these teenagers that would come back and fill our church with your spirit. Lord, I pray for those who were on our campus yesterday at the disc golf tournament, many of them not attending church or perhaps not even claiming to know you. I ask, Lord, that any seeds that were shared in your word, from your word, would land on good soil in their hearts. Would you draw them to Christ and help us to be your hands and feet to them? Father, I pray today for Governor Eric Holcomb. I pray, Lord, that you would give him your wisdom. I ask, Lord, that you would help him to govern in, in, uh, in your grace and wisdom for the good of the people that he serves. Help him to recognize that his position is one of a gift from you and one to which he will be held accountable. Please, Lord, bless him and his family. And if he doesn't know you, draw him to faith in Christ. I pray today for the Grace Baptist Church in Cherville and Pastor Dave Douglas. Father, give them great fruit for you. Unite them in the spirit of truth I pray, Lord, that you would give them great joy in serving you and encouragement in the Spirit. Now, Father, as we come to your word, hold us up that we may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, friends. Be seated. Well, last week, I was having trouble installing a new ceiling fan in our living room. Here's a picture of a ceiling fan, not the one in our living room. Have you ever tried to install one of these on your own before? Well, uh, yeah, Jim Huda raised his hand because he tried to help me this past week too. Thank you, Jim. I did my best with the instructions. I got it all put together. And then it came up to wire it. I wired it like the instructions said, at least I thought, and turned the switch on. And it's one of those with the remote. Did not work at all. Like, just dead as a doornail. So what am I going to do? You know, maybe I did something wrong with the wiring, you know. So I rewired it and adjusted it a little bit and tried it again. Nothing. Just crickets, you know. Okay, so what do you do at that point? You Google it, of course. So that's what I did. I Googled it. Okay, maybe the wiring's wrong. It's probably something to do with the wiring, you know. What I discovered is that there are so many different ways that people say you should wire a ceiling fan. It's not even funny. Like you can see pictures of diagrams and there's like 14 different diagrams. And I'm thinking, you know what, if I try this and get electrocuted, I'm going to die, you know. Although I didn't. I got shocked yesterday. It was fine. I had hair before I got it shocked though. (laughs) Anyway... So I, there's so many opinions and, and perspectives about how to wire this correctly. And, and I got to thinking that the same thing is true when it comes to knowing how to please God. Here's a statement I think is true, and I, I think you'll agree with me. There are all kinds of opinions about how to please God. 
There's all kinds of opinions about how to please God. I think I've got that on the screen for you. There's all kinds of opinions about how to please God. (laughs) It's funny how I communicate with people subliminally, huh? In ancient Colossae, the Christians were facing some false teachers who claimed to know how to live in a way that pleased God. We've talked about this some a little bit so far. They had these strict religious rules that they claimed that the Christians needed to follow in order to please God. Their religious rules were evidently spurred from uh, uh, this revelation that they might have had. And and so they encouraged the Christians to worship angels, we see in chapter 2, verse 18. Um, They encouraged them to submit to these extra regulations, we see in chapter 2, verse 20, that came from human precepts and understandings and self-made religion and severity to their bodies. But their lives actually didn't honor God, which gave Paul a great concern. After never having met them, he heard about their faith from Epaphroditus, and he wrote to them because of the spiritual danger that they were in. He had a great desire to pray for these Christians so that they might know God's will so that they could live for the Lord. We see that in verse 10, the first part of verse 10 of Colossians 1. He says, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Colossians 1, verse 10, it says, If they could know God's will through what the Spirit showed them, then they would be able to live their lives that please the Lord. But what follows after that in verse 10 is four phrases that describes what it looks like to please the Lord. I started writing this sermon on Friday, and I realized, uh, I don't think I can do all four phrases in one sermon. So I'm going to do two of those phrases today, two characteristics of what it looks like to please the Lord. As I said, there's all kinds of opinions about how to please God in today's culture, isn't there? Let's think of Hinduism, for example. If you're familiar with Hinduism, you know you need to follow the Dharma or the duties, There's dharma for yourself, your family, society at large, and dharma for various gods. I had a friend in Michigan who was Hindu, and he prayed to his family god. He had a little idol of his family god, and he had a little app on his phone that he would play the app to ring a bell in order to wake up his god in time to pray for him. He had to fulfill these things to please his god. He would make little sacrifices of food and money and things like that to his god. Or think about Islam. If you want to please God in Islam, you have to recite the shahada. You have to pray five times a day. You have to participate in almsgiving, fast during Ramadan. And at one time in your life, you've got to go to Mecca to make your pilgrimage. Or think about secularism, which is, of course, growing in our culture today. It says there is no God, but in reality, every person becomes their own God. And you've got to figure out how to please yourself and even create your own existence in a way. Even within various views of Christianity, you can see these kinds of things. How can I please God? If, you're Google, if you were to Google this, maybe not during the sermon, maybe you should wait till later. If you were to Google, how can I please God? You might find the result that I did, which was a blog post that said, having faith pleases God. Be spiritually minded, fear God, study and follow Jesus Christ's example, obey God, do God's will, give the sacrifice that God wants, 
But even within that, there's variations of folks who say this is pleasing to God and this isn't, you know? So how can you know what actually pleases God and what doesn't? Thankfully, God has revealed to us how to live a life that pleases Him. What we see here in Colossians 1, verses 10 through and following, is four things that please God, or four characteristics of people who please the Lord. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you two of those characteristics. So, if you're following along, you're taking notes in your sermon notebook, the early bird gets the worm, and that's why some of you have them and some of you don't. They'll be here later this week, Lord willing. Um, First characteristic, then, of someone who pleases the Lord is, number one, good works. Good works. Look at verse 10 with me. We're going to start at the beginning, and then we'll go through the end. He says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Now he's going to describe what he means when he says fully pleasing to Him. Bearing fruit in every good work. Initially, it seems like the bearing fruit is referring to the fruit of the Spirit. You're familiar with that probably from the book of Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, meekness, I think, self-control. It seems like he's saying bear the fruit of the Spirit, but there's another part of that phrase here in verse 10 where he says, bearing fruit in every good work. Every good work, does he mean that all of us, have, that all of our works will be good or have to be good if we are to please him? No, I don't think so. If you've been a Christian for longer than 30 seconds or so, you recognize that not all of your works are good as a Christian. What does he mean when he says every good work? I think we can find the answer in Ephesians 2 verse 10. Look at that passage with me. He says... For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now notice this next phrase. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you know, dear Christian friend, that God has prepared every good work that he has for you to do? He's planned it out for you to do it even before you actually do it. And that's what I think he's talking about here in Colossians 1, verse 10, when he says, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, here's an illustration, hopefully, to make this clearer for you. Christy is our children's ministry director. Hi, Christy. You're doing a great job. And she's been working very hard on Summer Blast. That's happened uh, three or four weeks now, I think. Summer Blast is like VBS Broken up, instead of doing it all in one week, we do like one day a week, basically. That's kind of the impression that I get. Is that fair to say? Okay, good. I've been paying attention decently well. So she has lined up all the things that are going to happen in each night at Summer Blast. You don't just show up and she's like, hmm, yeah, let's do dodgeball again. No, no, no. It's not like that. She's, she's planned all the things out for the kids and what they're going to do. They're going to start here in the auditorium. They're going to sing songs to the Lord. They're going to hear uh, teaching about God's truth, and they're going to break up into groups, and this group is going to do this. And There's all kinds of planning that she has done to plan out the good works for these kids to do. And so it is similar with us for the good works that God has planned for us to do as his children. 
Our God is a sovereign God who has seen you and known you before time existed. And he has planned out all your good works for you to do. And as you come to an opportunity to serve the Lord, to do something good for him, you're just walking in the good works that he has planned out for you to do. And as you do them, you're bearing fruit in every good work. Specifically, when you pray with your neighbor, when they share something heavy on their heart, and the Holy Spirit prompts you, you need to pray with them or pray for them right now. You're bearing fruit in the good work that God prepared for you to do in that moment. Or when you text an encouraging scripture to someone from your life group, to the glory of Jesus. You're bearing fruit in the good work that God has planned for you to do. When you bring a bottle of water to someone that's sweating in this humidity. It's crazy how humid it has been, right? It's like a sauna. You're bearing fruit in every good work. Perhaps our missionaries from Africa don't quite think so. When you serve in a ministry here, when you read scripture to your children before bed, when you pray with your spouse or sacrificially give in order to pay off the student center or for the roof we need to put on the family center at some point in the future, you're bearing fruit in every good work. Any good thing you do with the help of the Spirit for the glory of Jesus is a good work that God has planned for you to do. And when you do them, you're bearing fruit in them. So, are you with me? Anybody with me? I, can, I know, sometimes when I ask questions, you can't quite tell if I really want you to answer. I know why you do that. It's my fault. It's not you, it's me. Anyway, two points of clarification here before we move on to number two. You might see this and you say, okay, good works, Jacob. We please God with our good works. Aren't we saved by faith? Aren't we saved by faith? Now, you can probably fill in the blank with this passage. I read it, and I'll leave a blank for you to put in the right word. By grace are you saved through faith, and not of, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ah, that's good. I'm glad you know your Bible well enough to say that. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. But I hope to clarify this for you in this next sentence. We aren't saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. We aren't saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. Remember what the Holy Spirit said through James in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Can a workless faith save him? His implication is clear in the question, isn't it? For example, he says in verse 15, If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James and Paul agree. There's always been a debate about whether or not they should agree. I think it was uh, Martin Luther who wanted to throw James out of the Bible because he didn't feel like it fit with Paul. Well, no, they do agree. It's just that saving faith is the nature of it, is always results in works. 
So you see, faith without works is dead. Here's what David Garland said. He said, an abundant harvest of good fruit reveals that a fruit tree is healthy. An abundant harvest of good works reveals the spiritual health of a Christian. Well, there's another, perhaps a kind of, um, you know, question you might have about this point, about good works pleasing God. And this is a specific, a specific kind of concern that I think is an overemphasis or maybe a misunderstanding that some Christians have. And it's this. But nothing we do pleases God, you might say. There's nothing I can do that pleases God as a Christian. You might have heard this from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 6. It says, We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Raise your hand if you've heard that verse before. Maybe you've heard it as all our righteousness is like filthy rags. Polluted garment is referring to a really gross article of clothing. A really disgusting article of clothing that's that's used for, for women in particular. That's what that's referring to. All our righteousness is like that? Well, we have to understand the Bible in context, friends. That passage in Isaiah is talking about when Israel was living rebelliously against God while actually continuing to do various worship practices. So in their worship, that kind of worship was like a polluted garment because they had known unrepentant sin in their life. You see what I'm saying here? That's not the same way to be applied to a Christian in today's culture and society. For example... Remember, first of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was baptized, God the Father spoke from heaven and said this. He said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But we don't always please Him, do we? We don't always please Him. I've probably done something today that hasn't been pleasing to the Lord. I've already forgotten half of your names, for goodness sake. And I know that's not a good thing. You know, I'm kind of low on energy. Maybe I didn't get enough sleep. You know, probably something I should have done differently to please the Lord today. I'm pretty sure you're in the same boat unless, well, I'm pretty sure you're in the same boat. But remember what Jesus said on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here's these two statements that seem to not make sense to us. They don't seem to fit together. Here's God the Father when he sees his son baptized, and God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But then on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, why, can these, why would both of these things have been said? Why would God the Father, who is well pleased in his son, forsake his son on the cross? Because God loves sinners so much that instead of letting us be forsaken for our sin, he sent his son to die in the place of sinners so that whoever believes in him, instead of God forsaking us and rejecting us, God will actually say to us, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. You see, by your union with Christ and your faith in him, What God said about his son at his baptism is always God's perspective toward you, Christian. Isn't that good news? You are his beloved daughter, and he is well pleased in you in Christ. You are his beloved son, and he is well pleased in you in Christ. 
So from that position that we have before God, in a way you might say, God is always pleased with us in Christ. And isn't that good news? Amen? Amen. Absolutely, that's good news. However, at the same time, now that we actually are his sons and daughters, we can do things that please him as his sons and daughters. I mean, some of you can have seen this in your own lives. You have children. And your son or your daughter does something to obey you. They do something to draw you a picture to show that they care about you for Father's Day or Mother's Day. And it just makes your heart gleam. You're pleased with it. You're so thankful. Well, consider some examples of of things in the Bible that says we can glorify Christ. Philippians 4.18, it says this. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, notice, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Evidently, the Colossian Christians had sent money for Paul for his ministry, and Paul said that that money was a sacrifice that was acceptable and pleasing to God. Well, you see, if all of their righteousness is like filthy rags, then how could they say that that is acceptable and pleasing to God? to understand the Bible in context, don't we? Here's another example in 1 Timothy 2, verses 2 through 3, where Paul says to Timothy, Pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Praying for the governor of Indiana, whose name I have already forgotten, is pleasing and good in the sight of God, our Savior. You see, as our, in our position as Christians, being seen in Christ, we are positionally pleasing to God in Christ and now filled with the Spirit of Christ to obey the Spirit of Christ and do things for Jesus that God says are pleasing to Him. So you see, this is why Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 10, I want you to please the Lord, be fully pleasing to him by bearing fruit in every good work. Coming back to Summer Blast illustration, Christy, I'm almost done picking on you. You would know what, you know what would please Christy about Summer Blast? I think she can answer for herself in a moment, but right now I have the microphone. If all of those children would come would simply walk in the good works she and her team prepared for them to do, that would be a well-pleasing thing for Christy. It would be satisfying to her because she worked hard and, and they're just walking in the good works, bearing fruit as they do. It would be pleasing to her. So you see, friends, when you just do the good works that God our Father has planned out for you to do, as his child, you make him smile. He says, that's my boy. That's my girl. That's what I'm talking about. You obeyed my spirit. You put your faith in Christ. You're doing your best for him. Well done, good and faithful servant. And don't you want to hear God say that to you? Well, friends, a question for you before we move on to point number two. Are you bearing fruit in good works for God? Are you bearing fruit in good works for God? Okay. Now, let's move to point number two. If you're with me, say amen. Point number one, good works. These are things that we do, how to please God. The second one, growing knowledge. Growing knowledge. 
Look at verse 10 of Colossians chapter 1 again. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and, here we come to the next phrase, increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. To increase in the knowledge of God is to be knowing more about God and to be knowing God more. To be knowing more about God and to be knowing God more. And as we come to know Him more and come to know more about Him, we are walking worthy in a manner of the Lord, pleasing Him. In chapter 2, Paul said something similar. He said in Colossians 2, verses 2 and following, he asked, he's straining for them to reach all the riches of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look, he doesn't want them to have a little bit of the riches of the knowledge of God's mystery. He wants them to reach all the riches of the knowledge of God's mystery. These verses do a couple of things. First, they help clarify the point I'm making in growing in knowledge. Paul wasn't just content with them knowing a little bit about God, and neither is God content with you knowing just a little bit about Christ. Dear friends, I hope you're not content with just knowing who Jesus is. I hope you have a strong desire to know his heart, to know his mind, to know his will, to know everything he desires for you. I hope you have that growing desire and are growing in your knowledge of Jesus. Dear friend, do you know Jesus better now than you did five years ago? Do you know God better now than you did last year? Do you know more about his heart? Do you know more about what he thinks about the world? Do you know more of his word? Do you know more of God now than you did 10 years ago or 15 or 20 years ago? Or are you stagnant in your knowledge of God? Oh, I know Jesus. I prayed that prayer and I was baptized, but I don't really know him any more than that. Friends, that's not a life that's pleasing to the Lord. He wants you to please him by growing in your knowledge, by continually growing in your knowledge of God, to know him more and more every day. Now, in case you want to see a picture with me with hair, here you go. Look at that. Can you see that? I'm on the left. Now, that is me. There's no Photoshop there. You can tell my wife looks exactly the same, just as beautiful, but something's different about me. Anyway, that's not why I bring up this picture. This is on our wedding day. I had a little less strength then than I do now because I had a stomach flu. Anyway, I thought I knew my wife pretty well that day. Yeah, I know Lindsay. I know she's from North Little Rock, Arkansas. I know her parents. You know, I know some of her gifts and abilities, and yeah, I know her pretty well. Now we've been married 15 years as of May 24th, so praise God for that, right? Do you think I know her a little bit better now? You would hope so. Absolutely, I know her better now. I thought I knew her 15 years ago, and I did, but there's so much more about her that I know now. Dear friends, You may have met the Lord at one point in time, your marriage to Him, so to speak, but do you know Him better now than you did then? It pleases my wife, I think, when I'm intent on spending time with her and getting to know her better. Babe, tell me about your day, and then actually paying attention when she says it, right, men? 
tell me more about what's going on in your life. Don't you think that would make her feel special? Dear friends, it pleases the Lord when we come to know God better, when we grow in our knowledge of Him. I thought I knew Lindsay, but I think I know her a little better now. I hope you know the Lord better now than you did 15 years ago. But I want to clarify this one as well before I finish this sermon up here in a moment. How do I know God more? How do I know God more? Now, verse 12 tells us that growing in the knowledge of God is one of the ways we can live a life that pleases the Lord. That is verse 10. But it doesn't say how we can do this. But Colossians 2, verse 3 implies it. Look at it again. It says, To reach all the riches of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the knowledge that we need, all the ways of knowing God are found in Christ. If you want to know God, you've got to know Christ. And if you want to know God better, you've got to know Jesus better. Look at an interaction between Jesus and Philip, one of his disciples. Philip said to him in John 14, verses 8 through following, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? If you want to grow in the knowledge of God, grow in knowing Jesus better. To know Jesus is to know God. Final question for you. Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Are you growing in your knowledge of God? If you are, you are living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. And I'm thankful for that. Well, there's two more phrases, two more attributes that we're going to get at hopefully next week. But before I end, let me go back to that fan. I didn't tell you what happened with the fan, did I? (laughs) Thankfully, Roger Campinga, deacon extraordinaire, and retired electrician came over yesterday to help me figure out what was wrong with that blasted ceiling fan. We discovered that a part in the fan was faulty. I'm not an idiot, y'all. Menards replaced the part. Thank you, Menards. Say big money at Menards. They replaced the part, and we installed it, and what do you know? By George, you push the button, and when things work, fans work at our house. Praise God. I know it's really small, and it's not a great comparison, But now that fan makes me happy. (laughs) I am so happy that when I pushed that button, after having rammed it 85,000 times on the remote, it works. And it spins. And it lights up. It does the things that I'm trying to get it to do. And it pleases me. 
now that God has taken out our faulty hearts and replaced them with ones that love God by His Spirit, we can please God by bearing fruit and good works and increasing in the knowledge of God. We can actually please our Heavenly Father as He calls us and leads us to do what He calls us to do. And I pray these attributes would be true of all of us. Music team, come on up. We're going to sing a song here at the end before I dismiss you to... Um, do we call it Sunday school? Is that what we call it? Bible classes? Let's just figure out what we're going to call that, huh? Let's just call it Sunday school. That's what it is. Let's be real. Before I dismiss you to Sunday school, um, we're going to sing one more song, and then I will close with a scripture, all right? Let's pray together now that the music team's ready, and then we'll sing, all right? Father, thank you for the good works that you planned out for us to do. Thank you for giving me strength just in those few moments. And Lord, now fulfill your purpose in us. Let us be pleasing to you. And we know, Lord, that you have done all the work in us to make us pleasing to you. We thank you for these things. In Christ's name.